it's good to be uh, on this side of things for once instead of always buried over there. Uh, so uh, before we begin today, I need to kind of let you in on the preparations leading up to this because it's, it's been quite a journey to get to here. Um, for the past two weeks, I've known that I've been preaching this, and so I've made sure that I've read my commentaries and that I've read this. You know, I, I tried looking, what does this mean? What does this mean? And so put the first draft out to Paul and, oh, okay, going back to the drawing board, you're a little off here. Um, so Thursday, we sat down with Paul and, all right, I'm ready, like a little kid. I'm, I'm ready. Here we go. We're going to give this a shot. And I failed gloriously. I read it and it just did not work. Paul's going, did you think about this? Well, what about this? What about that? And I'm going, okay, you tell me this on Thursday? Uh, all right, well, so I gave up. I quit. I told him I can't do it. There's too much pressure. There's too much pressure from you guys. There's too much pressure from Paul. I said, I can't do it. You have to do it. He said, all right, I'll do it. And felt guilty about doing that. And just all day Thursday, just going, man, something's not right. So me and Amanda were processing, and she goes, why, why are you feeling like this? Well, it wasn't perfect. I did something that, that wasn't perfect, and I couldn't, I couldn't live with that. And so I went through and I prayed about it and I wanted another shot. Hopefully it wasn't too much on Paul's end to you know, try to work up a sermon Thursday afternoon. But uh, Friday morning, Paul and I sat down and we just, don't talk to me as, as the one who's going to preach this. Talk to me as Todd Pabin. How does this scripture apply to you? I said, I can understand Timothy's situation. Being in a place, while I'm not officially leading you as an elder, just bringing forth the word of God. I can understand why Timothy would be the way he is and how Paul knows young Timothy in a church of Ephesus. What, what, I got a glimpse of that. And Paul always talks about how after a while you read scripture, it'll read you. Well, this week I, I saw myself as Timothy. Yeah, it's very appropriate that the young guy takes on the passage in which you're not supposed to, in which uh, says, do not be discouraged by your age. But I think that we can find ourselves in this story, because if I can find myself in this story, we can all find it in there. So with that lens, would you turn to 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 992. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. 
So Paul opens this week with command and teach these things. And so in order to kind of understand just the, the natural logic, if, if you weren't at peace last week, what are these things that, that Paul's encouraging Timothy to teach? Well, last week we heard three things from Paul. This, this idea of discipline, that we're to be dis, uh, disciplined for godliness in three different ways. And Donna, if you could just throw that up. The fact of eternity itself should motivate us to discipline ourselves for godliness. That the, there, our discipline has eternal issues. There is eternal weight at stake for that. And then we also learned that the fact of a living God, the fact that the Holy Spirit is present right now in our midst, should, motive, should, should discipline us toward godliness. And the last thing is our salvation. Not just our own, but the salvation of others is at stake because of how our discipline is, because of our godliness. And so this week we see Paul continuing this charge to Timothy that can keep on teaching these things, keep on being disciplined in this. But he also keeps on going saying, as you're doing this, be disciplined in your walk. And so our theme this week says, your walk with Christ is necessary for your work for Christ. That as we walk with Christ, we need to have that as we do our, walk, our work for Christ. So we're con- so keeping this mind of, of this theme of discipline. He moves toward, uh, in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy, this, this elder, this pastor, this teacher of Ephesus, who's probably in his, his 30s, is just faithfully trying to, to lead this church, to lead these people that Paul knew. So, so Paul says to him, let no one despise you for your youth. In an age in which, you know, there's the older and the wiser people looking over him, Timothy's trying to contend for the gospel, trying to contend, trying to stand up for it. And Paul encourages him, let no one look down upon you because you have a gift. And so when you think of this, this young man, and I'm going to ask you a question, I, I kind of want some participation. And it's dangerous because I'm putting myself in this category. We're putting a lot of people in this category. When you think of the word young men or a young man, what comes to your mind? What sorts of characteristics, quirks, uh, not about myself, about young men, because <laughs> I'm saying, oh, this is, this is roasting time for Todd, but uh, what are, what's the worth of ethic of a young man. What are, what are these things? Just go ahead. Shout them out. Lacking experience. Naive. Foolish. Ambitious. Idealistic. Immediate gratification. What is that? Optimistic? Unfortunately, yes. Stupid. So, so I think we're getting the point that there's, there's two sides of the coin. There's, there's the optimistic and the, that they have a lot of energy, but then it's the, you don't know anything. You lack the experience. Hopefully not stupid, but lacking that experience. <laughs> And so most, most young men in this age, when, 
when confronted with conflict is to it's just a fight it's that knee jerk you're coming at me all right let's go you got the gloves on i'm putting them on and let's go i think to my time when i was studying theology at trinity and we got in the classroom you know we're studying theology the christian degree how quickly students became unchristian that we'd be talking and all of a sudden a subject comes up and you get the bug eyes from people going, oh my gosh, he believes this. Well, if he believes this, then he believes that and therefore he's off his rocker and well, you're going to hell because you believe this. And, and I think we all know people like that. We all know a neighbor. We all know a friend. We all know a coworker or a boss or what have you. We all know people like this that their first reaction is, come on, let's go. But what does Paul tell Timothy? Paul tells Timothy to conduct yourself. He goes on in verse 12, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Timothy is to stand up for the gospel in Ephesus as the leading pastor, teacher, elder, with Christ-like character that leads by example. And I think Paul draws from the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus at that time takes the culture of that, of that time and just flips it upside down, just completely flips it. And so Matthew 5, uh, Donna, this, if you want to throw that up. Matthew 5 says this. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. That I think Paul draws on this to Timothy, that when, when you're confronted with conflict, contend for the gospel in a way that points people to Jesus. Don't just be like the people of your time. Don't be like the people of your culture. And just, just fight. No. Be patient. Listen to them and contend for it in a Christ-like way. Point people to Jesus. So the first thing that Paul tells Timothy to think about is his speech. He says, conduct yourself. But set the believers an example in speech. And I think it's fitting that Paul's first thing is a speech. Because what do we mainly hear from our pastors on a Sunday morning? It, we, we, hopefully we see their love and we see their conduct, but on a Sunday morning, or if we interact with them, we mainly interact with the speech, both spoken and written. And so, Timothy, too, is to conduct himself in his speech. And Scripture repeatedly uh, talks about this, this idea of speech. We see in Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgressions or sin is not lacking. Proverbs 18.13, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I think we all know this one. James 3.9, with it our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and, and with it we curse people that are made in the likeness of God. We see the Apostle Paul encouraging him. Watch your speech. That is the, that is the way that you're going to combat people or conduct yourself 
point people to Jesus. It's not going to be through your fighting, but it's conducting your whole life. Because he just doesn't leave it at speech. He keeps it in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In all of these ways, all of his life is to be one that is, that is worthy and representing of Jesus. The entire life of a pastor, as well as ours, I want you to hear that too, as well as ours, is to set an example for the church and the world in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The pastor is to be the one in which the flock is to look to. While the pastor is not perfect, he is to be the one who sets an example to the flock in a similar way that Jesus showed examples of the kingdom to the disciples. All of a pastor's life is put on display as an example and representation of the gospel. That's why we hear, we're able to hear Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 and elsewhere that be imitators of me, therefore, as I imitate Christ. That is, that as Paul is going on through his journey and that he's leading people, he's responding to the God of the gospel, that he's living a life that is worthy, that he's dwelling with God, that he's communing, that he's learning, that he's teaching. He's living his life in such a way that he says, you want to know who Jesus is? Follow me. Paul doesn't do this so that he would have a big following. He does this so that he would point people to Jesus. And I think we all know people like this. There are people that we just see their life and I don't know how to, I don't know how to live. I don't know how to follow this. So let me study you. Let me study the way that you, that you and your wife interact. Or I don't, I don't know how to deal with kids. Can I look to you for know how to be an example? And it's just this inviting, inviting, inviting. so a pastor's life, as well as ours, is to be on display for the gospel in the church. The, the term that we hear often here, quorum Deo, before the face of God. That the church is always before the face of God because the Holy Spirit is dwelling among us. And therefore, we are to live our life as if the, the Spirit of God is always before us. Therefore, a pastor's life, as well as ours, is to be one that is always on display before God, his people, his church, and the world. And this is a weighty task. The fact that we are an example of this gospel, that we respond to the God of the gospel, is the start of discipleship. Or not just this Bible study or this missional community, but this, this, this intentional community that we form that, come on, let's, let's work out. Let's work our salvation together. Let's, let's sanctify one another. And so having this conduct is the start of that. But as we draw people into that, Paul encourages Timothy in saying, until I come, in verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. That is, that as Paul's drawing people, as, as people are noticing something different about Paul, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of, of Scripture. Because Paul's going to come. He's going to check up on him. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. Ephesus is a church that Paul loves. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians. So he's going to check up on him in a healthy way. Because he knows that he's young. I'm going to check up on them. I'm going to see how they're doing. But until I come, you need to devote yourself to this. 
this, this public reading of Scripture to exhortation and to teaching. And this public reading of Scripture is something that's happened historically for a long time. This week, uh, just take a look through Nehemiah 8. We'll eventually be going there, but uh, Nehemiah 8 talks about what happened when people would read aloud the Word of God. You can see it in Ezra, you can see it in Nehemiah. That people were, people's lives were changed when they read aloud the Word of God. That people's lives were changed. Israel repented of their their wicked and evil ways. And the people came to know the living God because they heard the word of the living God. And people responded to that. People repented and declared him as Lord. So we see here, Timothy is to continue on in this tradition, this rich tradition of reading aloud publicly the word of God. R. Kent Hughes said this, I don't know if you want to throw that up. Paul calls young Timothy to be radically biblical in his preaching, expositional. The truth is, without the centrality of the word and its exposition, there is no proper worship. Paul cites word-centeredness as the key to young, timid Timothy's success. That Paul cites word-centeredness as the key. So the same is true for us. We are to be in the word. Just as Timothy is to be in the word, knowing how to instruct this church, we too, that's why it's crucial we're in missional communities. That we're doing life together, that we're, that we're calling one another, that we're working out our, our salvation and our, and our pursuing our sanctification together. Since all of our life is being put on display before God, his church, and the world, we need to be rooted in the truths of Scripture, which is our source of discipleship. That as, as Paul is drawing people in, we, we saw this in the last verse, that as he's conducting his life in a proper manner, and that he's living his life that is worthy of represent, representing the gospel to people, that he's not drawing his people to himself, but he's drawing people, hey, this just isn't my way of doing things. This is the way that Jesus lived. I'm responding to the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So therefore, don't follow me. Look to Jesus. Look to the word. That's the way that Paul is to contend for the gospel. Don't, don't try to fight well. Don't try to be eloquent. Be centered in the word. So Paul goes on in verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul encourages Timothy to keep on using this gift, this gift that he has, this gift of of being an elder, a teacher, or a pastor. Keep on doing that. As I read this this week, how encouraging has that got to be to Timothy? That he's reading this letter in which okay, I'm really young. There's a lot of people that are older than me. I'm, I don't have answers to things. Paul gives them the encouragement. Don't, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Gets a little bit of a breather and then goes on. Don't neglect the gift you have. Because the gift that Paul, ha- 
I'm sorry, Timothy has, is not his to begin with. That God gave Timothy that gift. And that a group of people saw this gift going, there's something about Timothy. There's something about this gift. He needs to be leading a church. And so it was made official by heaven. The council of elders lay their hands on him. But Timothy's just, oh, I have a gift that Paul affirms it. Paul is reminding Timothy that, yes, he does have a gift, this gift of leading, this gift of teaching. So the same is true for us. We all have a gift. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we, we're using it or not, we all have a gift. Because we all are a part of the body of God. While some of us are a hand or a leg, we are all a part of the beautiful body of Christ. So if you have the gift of hospitality, serve others well through being hospitable. Teach others. If people have that gift, affirm them in their gift. If you have the gift of helps, I love watching Matt Anderson after church, just takes it down, invites his kids into it. Come on, we can take the screen down. If you have the gift of helps, help people. Do it all to the glory of God and the joy of all people. And affirm others in their gift. So it's not just doing your gift. It's recognizing you have a gift. Use it. We all have a gift that needs to be used. And when are we to use it? We're to use it now. Because he says in verse 15, practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. That we come, we come to this place where we're to use it now. We're to continue working at it. That we don't just wait, but we keep on using it. And we keep on using it. And we keep on using it so that all would see our progress. And so, practice these things. Devote yourself to them. So that all may see your progress. That as you're living a life worthy of the gospel, that you're calling people into that, you're pointing them in the word, and that you're encouraging others to use their gift, that people would see that progress, and they would find, okay, I, I haven't seen this person acting like that. You're at your workplace, and people are seeing something different about you. Because you're practicing your gift, you're using it, you're becoming word-centered. I'm sorry, I'm completely off my notes. Just give me a minute, I need to get back because there was something here that I, that I needed and it's driving me nuts that I can't get there. Ah, there it is. It's on the other side of this page. Page six. Ah, there it is. All right, I'm back. I'm sorry for that. That's what happens when you have so many pages of notes. All right. It's, it's <laughs> lack of it. But don't call me stupid, all right? <laughs> all right. Let's make sure we're in the right order here. Lack of experience. Amen. All right. Welcome back. All right. Sorry about that. 
And so in this section, we've seen, we've seen Paul lay out how Timothy is to conduct himself. That he is to, in verse 12, we saw him that he's to pursue godliness. That in what we learned last week, he's to continue on with that discipline and pursue godliness in his conduct, in his love, in his faith, and his purity. And we saw in the next verse that his, that his life, as well as ours, is to be one that is word-centered, not cultured-centered. That we're not going by what, what the world's telling us, but that we're rooted in Scripture because there's something different about us. When we, when we adhere to the word of God and the gospel. And then he says that we are to affirm others in their gifts. And we are to use them now. That these are all healthy ways that we are to contend for the gospel in a Christ-like way. And so this, this week, we pick up the athletic metaphor that we all learned last week if you were at peace. The gymnazo, the going to the place of training, going to the gymnasium. And while I don't claim to know an ounce of Greek, other than what Paul teaches on Sunday mornings, because I'm a geek like that, I kind of go, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. You can say that in public circles and people think you're really cool. Um, and what I learned in, yeah, no. Um, and what I learned in school, but this week, as I did my research, now that you're in the place of training, you need to have a diligent sweat among you. That as we're pursuing godliness, this just doesn't come through living life. That it requires work. It requires that we, that we work out our salvation and trembling, in fear and trembling. That it just doesn't come easy. And so I think back to my progress. That what has been my hard work over the past five years? Where, what, what have I been working for? What have I, what, what have I come from? And so I think back to, to the basement of Peace Community Church on Sunday nights. Think of being in that room, repenting of, of sexual sin of lust, of finding my identity in other people's words more so than what Scripture teaches. That my life is, is built on what you say to me, and I'm going to put all my reputation and truth in that. And how God has changed me from that, that he has put people in my life, he's put a church in my life, that points me to the God of Scripture. That I now know that, that Jesus came to live a perfect life. That he dwelt among us. That he, that he suffered all of our sins. The sins of the past, the present, and the future. That he took that to the cross. And that he died upon it. And that he rose victorious, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And is now seated at the right hand of the Father that I have the Holy Spirit to help me in pursuing godliness. That I have that, that, that. That's what keeps me pushing forward. So you're able to look back and go, that's where I was, but the gospel has brought me here. So too, we need to remember this diligent sweat. That in our daily life, we need to be reading, we need to be praying, we need to be working, working and working and working at becoming more like God that we see Jesus in our daily life, that we're reading and that we're praying that we would become more like that. It is my hope that we become a church that is so radically in love with Jesus and so intimate with him that people notice something different about us. Not so that we would have to set up more chairs or get a new building, but so that people would see Jesus. 
and that lives would be changed by the power of the gospel. It is my hope that as we go in on our day out and day in and day out, that our our blood is is bibline, that we, our body just oozes out scripture, that we're talking about him, that we're inviting people into that. And so as people are keeping a close watch on you, we're keeping this, we're conducting ourselves, we're being centered in the word, we're drawing people into that because people are seeing a change. As a pastor, Paul tells Timothy in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. seems like an entire life of a pastor has lived under a microscope. Both his followers and his critics. That people are somehow just, this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out everything about you. And I'm going to either criticize you or I'm going to follow you. And, and the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy this. Being thrown in chains, being arrested, being stoned, being flogged for pursuing in the gospel, knowing the the ramifications that come from holding the word of the God is truth. And so, Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. It's, it's going to be hard. That the work that a pastor or an elder does on a day in and day out, is, it's crazy. The spiritual warfare they endure, the criticisms, the joys that come with it, it all becomes part of it. So they need to, they, as well as us, need to keep a close watch on ourselves. J.C. Ryle said this, Young men, God is no respecter of persons. He regards no man's coat or purse or rank or position. One thing only God does look at, and that is the immortal soul. He measures all men by one standard, one measure, one test, one criterion. And that is the state of their souls. That he's saying, I, I don't care your bank account, I don't care your job, I don't care your rank. I care about one thing, and that is the state of your soul. Does your soul confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because to God, that's all that matters. Yeah, we can have have all these things and that may help us in our ministry. The only thing that has eternal weight at stake is our immortal souls and that our hope is put on on Jesus Christ, his blood and his righteousness and nothing else of this world. That is that is why it is important that we refer affirm others in their gifts and their service that we encourage them in that because it can ultimately Encourage them, can heal them, can help them. This also speaks to us. That we are to care for ourselves. That as we're working out our fear, our salvation, and fear and trembling. We are to be keeping a close watch on ourselves and our self-care. That as we can do things that free up our mind space... For me, it's, it's reading a book, it's playing my guitar, it's making a cup of coffee, it's talking to a friend. 
Maybe it's going bike riding early in the morning. Maybe it's, it's going somewhere to pray. Maybe it's just getting away, turning on the TV like we all can do. It's the only thing that's truly going to nourish us and fill us and sustain us for this battle, for this, this, this place that we're going, that we can push on forward to, is the Word of God. We are to be Word-centered people. So truly the only thing that will ever nourish us, that will ever fill us, that will ever help us in our life is this Word the truth that is found in this, and praying to Jesus that he would help this come alive in our life. That while we can do things that free up mind space, nothing will ever fulfill quite like scripture and praying to him only. We are people that are to be word-centered. So I want you to hear this. The ministry of the gospel cannot cannot pour out from the church if the church itself is being starved of the gospel itself. Let me read that again. The ministry of the gospel cannot pour out from the church if the church is being starved of the gospel itself. This is why Paul encourages the pastor especially to be watching his life and his doctrine so that we may see what it looks like to live a healthy life gospel-centered life and to lead a gospel-centered church. So how are you doing caring for yourself? How is your time with Jesus going? How is your, how is your prayer life? So what we believe about our doctrine, our theology, does shape our life. It shapes the way we interact with one another. It shapes where we point people. We'll either point people to Jesus or we'll point them away. So watch yourself. Watch your doctrine because it has eternal measures at stake. It has others' lives at stake. So what do we do from here? What do we do with this section of Scripture that we find ourselves in this morning? I think the first thing is, and I hope that we've been hearing it, is that we are to pray for our elders. We are to pray for Paul and Nathan we're prayed for we are to pray for Laura, for Grace and Isaac, for Sarah, for Abigail, Mia, and Breck. To pray for your deacons, to pray for Emily, to pray for John, to pray for myself, not just because I am one and I'm promoting church leadership, but pray for them. Specifically Paul and Nathan as they are on the front lines, leading the charge for the gospel, leading people, caring for you, keeping your best interest at heart. Affirm them in their gifts. Whoever your elder is, encourage them. If you don't know how to, ask. Ask their wives, because they know them best. The second thing is, is care for yourself. Pray. Pray for your family. Pray for yourself. Take time out from the TV, from those things that fill you, that that fill your mind space, and replace it with the Word. Because that's the only thing that's going to nourish you. Use your gift. We all have gifts. Use them. Use them now to the glory of God and the joy of all people and for the sake of his church. Use your gift. Pursue godliness. And most importantly, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Handle the word of God appropriately. 
So I'm going to pray, and then Paul's going to lead us through, through the sacrament. But before we do, let's pray. God, I thank you that you invite us into your word. That, God, you allow us to be a part of it. You allow us to find ourselves in it. And God, I just, I pray that we would be a church that is so radically intimate with Jesus Christ. God, that, that we become so attractive that people can't help but ignore us. That we are a church that points people to Jesus. God, I pray that as we go throughout our week this week, we would keep this in mind. What, that we think back to Nehemiah and what happened when we read aloud the word of God. That God, you restore us, you fill us, you renew us, you break us and build us back up. For your glory's sake, God. So God, would you help us in that? Would you point us to you? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.